Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you. And there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. friends, turn your Bible to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. If you don't have access to a traditional Bible, you can log into the YouVersion or Bible app. There we've uploaded all the notes and scriptures for you, and of course, we'll also put all the scriptures right there on your screen. You know, I love battle stories. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart, and my favorite scene is where the men are all lined up on the battlefield facing tremendous odds, and Walter Wallace, with his face painted for war, is riding his horse up and down the front line, building up the men's morale kicking up their adrenaline until he finishes with a shout. They may take away our lives, but they will never take away our freedom. And so when it comes to the battle scenes of the Bible, I love imagining them just like the motion pictures. Spartacus, Braveheart, Lord of the Rings, and of course, the greatest one of them all, Gladiator. Now the greatest battle of the Bible Well, that's debatable, but the most memorable is the Battle of Jericho in the book of Joshua. And in it, the people of Israel find themselves at the foot of a massive fortified wall that had never been breached. It was a city famous for its strength and dominance and infamous for being impenetrable. And when the Israelites approached this wall, they had already been through a lot, 40 years to be exact, waiting, wandering, and wondering when they were going to arrive at the land of milk and honey that God had promised during the Exodus when God had freed them from Egypt and from slavery. And just after he finally gives them the green light to cross over into the land, the first thing they encounter is this city and this wall. I can only imagine how inadequate and impatient and intimidated they must have felt, compounded by fatigue and all that they had already endured, it must have seemed hopeless, making them question whether or not God was truly going to bring this journey to completion. But God was about to remind them of something we all need to remember when our circumstances seem hopeless. He will finish it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being mindful of us, for speaking to us through your word, reminding us of who you are and who we are in you. In your name we pray. Amen. We all have moments in our lives that feel intimidating, situations that feel impossible, and circumstances that are just plain overwhelming. What's your Jericho? For the Israelites in the book of Joshua, it was literally a wall, and this wall was blocking the way into the land God had promised them. Joshua 6.1 says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in, and no one came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with his king and his fighting men. And then he told him to do three things. One, have all the warriors march around the city one time for six consecutive days. Two, have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And three, on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets, and on the seventh time, everyone shout. 
Now, I'm not a military strategist, but I would imagine that these instructions didn't make rational sense to the seasoned warriors of Israel. I mean, an ark, priests, trumpets? Scripture said that the city was shut down. It was already terrorized and panicking because they had heard about the Israelites and their God. It seems to me they were good. They could have bypassed this town, gone around. It was very unlikely that Jericho had any intention to attack or challenge Israel's claim to the land surrounding them. But God is a thorough God. If the Israelites were going to capture the hill country, they had to take the top of the ridge. Otherwise, they could be at risk with a well-armed enemy at their back. And so they needed to take all the land. But this battle wasn't actually about the land. God had already said in verse 1 that I have delivered Jericho into your hands. So the battle of Jericho wasn't about the city. That was already won. It was about the promise, and it was about his people. The instruction he gave were for the benefit of his people. God was being thorough with his people. Because even though God had guaranteed their victory, they still had to possess it, take it, walk into it with the confidence of knowing that the outcome was certain. And to do that, they needed to see, not with physical sight, with their eyes. They were going to need a mental, emotional, and spiritual sight. To possess the promised land, 31 kingdoms in total, when situations and circumstances and what was physically seen did not line up with what God said, his goal was that they would be sure, certain, confident, and undaunted that he would do it. God knew his people. He knew that they were the people of Exodus, people who had been slaves and had struggled in the wilderness. And though they had been freed from slavery physically on the outside, they still had to be freed mentally on the inside. For 400 years, their mentality told them they were slaves, that they were subject to, ruled by, marked with, and susceptible to the things that had dominated their past. There were habits, practices, limiting beliefs, life commandments, and perspectives they needed to unlearn. To let them bypass or go around without freeing them completely would be the same as leaving a well-armed enemy at their back. Those thoughts and tendencies, proclivities and predispositions would stand in the way of their receiving, accomplishing, and taking what God was extending to them. Because the lens that they saw the world through was slavery, and the lens of slavery is hopelessness. Hopelessness holds us in the place that we are. No one has to keep us there because we've decided and agreed with the narrative that says it's pointless to even fight or even try to get out. It whispers in extremes and in defeat and tells us things like always and never, can't, and ruminates in worst-case scenarios. It is resigned and tells us that nothing will ever change. It resorts to blame and shame, complaint and cynicism, robbing you of any energy and any initiative to take action. And hopelessness isolates, convincing you that there is no hope, there is no answer, that everything depends on you and you are failing, increasing your anxiety until it crushes all hope. God was fully aware that the journey from slavery to freedom was not just a journey from one location to another, but an interior journey, that a mentality of hopelessness would defeat them before the battle had even begun. And so this battle was to complete the work that he had started in his people. His battle strategy for them and for us today included three things they needed to see and three things they could do. First, they needed to see his covenant. In order to get their eyes off the problem, they needed to remember the promise, which is why he instructed them to place the ark at the center of the battle. Whatever you fix your eyes on and give your attention to is what you are in agreement with, because you've given authority to it. If they kept their eyes on the problem, it would continue to grow in their heart and their mind and snowball as it built upon the traumas of their past. So in Joshua 1.8, he told them, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to 
to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Instead of focusing on the walls, they would need to focus on his word. Rather than seeing the problems, they would need to learn to focus on God's promises. Second, they needed to see his consistency. Why seven times? Why seven days? Why seven? The number seven reminded the people that God is consistent. It was a reminder of creation that he finished in seven days, declaring that he is the creator and nothing is impossible for him. If he could do that, then he could certainly do this. Second, it was a reference to what God had told Moses long before they were facing Jericho, that he would bring the people into a land they would possess and drive out seven nations larger and stronger than you. Large cities that have walls up to the sky. That's specific. That's consistent. Third, he spoke to his thoroughness. The number seven represents perfection, letting them know that he would finish it and leave nothing undone, especially in them. And so every time they took a step, every day that they returned to the small and repetitive act of circling the wall, they were doing the work of bringing down walls inside of them. The science of neuroplasticity says that practicing small acts multiple times is a far more effective way of making lasting change than if experienced once over a long period of time. The more frequently your neurons respond and are invited to the table to see different and be different, and the stronger that signal becomes and the more adept and proficient you become at seeing the solution the next time you're facing a battle. Jericho was just the beginning, the gateway to the promised land. If they would consistently and faithfully keep doing what seemed like a redundant, insignificant, small task, it would allow them to see the victory in this battle, but also every battle thereafter. Third, they needed to see his completion. Over and over throughout scripture, God repeatedly shows us the destination before the journey even begins, because knowing the outcome, the end of the story, shifts our perspective, it changes our posture, it allows us to approach it differently. In Philippians 1.6, the Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison. And Roman prisons were designed to psychologically and physically torture a prisoner, and it's in this dark time that he writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. How is it that one of the most difficult times in his ministry, he was so sure, having no doubt, that God will complete the good work because he had experienced it. What work was he talking about? The good work in you. We are often looking for God to complete and resolve the problem, but God is looking to complete his promise in you, to make you whole, to finish the work he started in you. And the Israelites learned this firsthand immediately following their victory at Jericho. In verse 18, God said, keep yourselves from the things set apart or you yourselves will be destroyed. And the city of Jericho was notorious for two things, being morally corrupt and for committing child sacrifice. And God was going to finish the battle. He had declared war on sin and suffering, injustice and evil. He has declared war on sin and suffering, injustice and evil. And so when the Israelites faced defeat in Ai, right after the victory of Jericho, it was clear that someone had taken some of what was set apart for destruction in Jericho. When God has given you the battle, and you have overcome. Whatever remains in the rubble is not yours to keep. If you've had a breakthrough and your Jericho has been defeated and you're still feeling overwhelmed and it seems like you've lost favor or like God is no longer with you, you need to ask, what did you keep? 
What have you held on to that God has marked for destruction? What sin or addiction or anxiety or sickness have you claimed and named as your own that doesn't belong to you that God has declared war on? He's not coming at you. He's coming at that because he is going to finish it. He will deliver you from it. He is going to eradicate it. He will complete it. So what do we do when we're feeling hopeless? First, we walk. We walk to the wall. There are some things we give power and authority to because we won't approach it. And if we're going to take possession and authority over anxiety and anger, the state of our marriages and our children, the condition of our finances, the state of our mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health, then we need to walk to the wall and stop avoiding it, tiptoeing around it, letting it hold ground in our lives. Approach it with the confidence of someone who knows the outcome. The battle is still his. He will do it, but he did say to circle it. Circle it in prayer, circle it in the word, circle it with confidence, knowing that our covenant God is with us. Circle it even when it whispers and even shouts some days, telling you your situation is hopeless. Circle it every day, consistently, even when it doesn't look like anything is changing because you know it's changing you. Circle it like you're sure and you know that it's coming down. That wall, that city, that thing that's trying to intimidate you because he who has promised is faithful. Second, worship is your weapon. So you need to worship. Joshua started his journey with worship. In verse 514, it says, Joshua bowed down with his face to the ground in worship and asked, what does the Lord want to say to his servant? And then it says he lingered there and listened. First of all, worship is powerful because it brings us into the presence of the Almighty God. So worship realigns us. It realigns our thoughts, our words, our bodies, our postures to be in agreement with God's promises, with what we believe, and sometimes until we believe. Worship helps us to imagine better. And when we give our brains a blueprint of better, it begins to recognize better. If we do not give it that template, it won't recognize the promises when they come. Worship is a confrontation within ourselves. Why seven trumpets? Because a trumpet requires us to take a breath inward before breathing outward to make a sound, which reminds us to turn inward and search ourselves before making a sound, which brings us to the last point. And that's shout. Shout until the wall comes down. And shout means to command attention, to cause to be or stop. The shout didn't bring down the wall. God did that. So if the shout didn't bring down the wall, then the trumpets and the repetition confirmed for me that the battle was within themselves. Parts of our brain only respond to sound stimulation. And a shout would have created a deeply embedded memory having a greater impact that is remembered longer than the words actually spoken. And when we verbalize our faith and speak God's strength and victory in our life with authority, with a shout, it calls on our neurons, our thoughts, our behaviors and actions to change in response to an action toward a realization of what we speak which is why Joshua circles back in verse 10 and gives them the instruction again. Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until I tell you to shout. Now, I'm sure that the people thought the plan was questionable and may have doubted. And Joshua knew the faith in God's plan may take some working out that the good work was still being done in them. And if they raised their voices before the work was done, the doubt and fear and discouragement, disappointment and disillusionment from their past would shout defeat and cause it to be. And so Joshua reminded them, don't raise your voice. If you cannot say what God says, if you have not done what God says to do, then don't say anything. Don't sabotage yourself. Don't convince yourself that you've been defeated in a battle you've been guaranteed to win. God will say you cannot 
be defeated, not with me on your side. You can only defeat yourself. And a generation before, the people had come to a crossroads and had given voice to their doubts and their fears and pointed out the facts that they saw with their physical sight, which led them to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And Joshua was adamant that it would not happen again. What are you battling today? Discouragement, disappointment, depression, disease? What is your wall? What is your Jericho? Does that seem like you're facing today and it just seems hopeless? Are you feeling defeated? The God that is in you is greater than the wall before you. God's word is alive and it is active. The same promise he made to Joshua is still at work and applies to you today. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Jesus was saying the same thing when he said at the cross, it is finished, it is done. He was letting us know that God's plan to redeem and restore and heal and make right and whole is finished, complete guaranteed. He has already conquered death. He has already healed you. He has already your provider and provision, and he has already paid the price for your brokenness to be whole. It is finished. And that's the story of salvation. It's the most epic battle of all, a battle for you, a rescue mission to not only change the trajectory of your life and give you the happy ending that you've hoped for, but to give you an assurance and confidence that only comes when we hear and see and experience God so that you will know that He will be with you to overcome any wall, anything that would threaten you with hopelessness. Scripture says everyone born of God overcomes the world. Who is it that overcomes the world? I love how it repeats that. He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Will you believe today? Do you want to be sure? Will you let the God of healing, restoration, wholeness, and redemption begin that work in you today? Will you let him complete it? We want to give you the opportunity to receive the gift of salvation. I'll say a few lines of prayer and you can repeat them. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please change me, make me different, make me new. Be my Lord, be my Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.